0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we're going to talk about the authority code.
1: Yay!
0: (laughs) Picture (laughs) confetti and champagne popping.
1: Really? One week from today, well today when we're recording this, November 9th, it will officially debut.
0: Did did we say this is your new book? (laughs) I I don't think we did. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like how you said new book because it's my first book, but I like saying new because it just yes. makes it sound like there's just, you know, my website is littered with books. Yes. Um, so
0: Rochelle and I have been talking for 45 minutes about the launch of her brand new book, The Authority Code. And just to make it clear, it will be available for sale the day after you hear this. If you listen to this, the date is released. Uh, there'll be links in the show notes. I have read it. I happily blurbed it. It is amazing I mean tons of people. I mean who else who else is giving you blurbs? I mean oh, Charles Green, uh, Jill Charles Conrath, Jill Pine, David C. Baker, the list goes on
1: Yeah, Jonathan rave Stark. reviews.
0: Yes, rave reviews Okay. Yeah, it's literally it's literally that good. No one's gonna believe me because we're co-hosts, but uh, you should really go check it out yourself It's great if you like this show, you're going to love the book.
1: Oh, thanks, Jonathan.
0: Anytime. My pl- Anytime you write a great book, I'll have, be happy to say <laughs> <the same thing.
1: laughs> Great. No pressure. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, yeah. So today in tandem with the launch, we wanted to talk about a few of the big ideas in the book and just, you know, sort of give Rochelle the stage to kind of give you a sense of what's in it and whether or not it might be for you. Uh, my favorite thing, if I could, if I can kind of be the interviewer here, um, I think my favorite thing for certainly for my audience is my audience is very much allergic to selling. They feel like it's they can only imagine it being a used car kind of Mm -hmm. pushy plaid suit sales guy type of thing. And agreed, that's nasty. Nobody wants to be like that. Uh, But a large portion of your book is about about how you really, if you do a few things right, you really don't have to do that. Like there's no always be closing, there's no hard sell. So do you want to, you know, if I just tee it up like that, can you kind of riff on how selling works in an authority model?
1: Yeah, well, Jonathan... The main reason I wrote the book was I kept encountering people who were frustrated with selling. And when I would, you know, take five minutes even to look at what they were doing, it wasn't that they were selling badly or wrong. It was that they hadn't done the work to get to that point. So the whole premise of the book is if you position your business in the right niche for you, and there's a bunch of pieces that go into that, if you then monetize your expertise to take advantage of that positioning, then what selling looks like becomes very, very simple. Selling is you're publishing, and we can talk about what that looks like, whether that's blogs or podcasts or videos, whatever. You're publishing, you're engaging your authority circle, and we did an episode a few weeks back on that. And then you're having sales conversations. It changes Everything because the people that are coming to you are Pre-qualified in many cases. They've read your stuff. They've self-selected into your worldview and it literally changes Everything about how you sell.
0: Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Totally my experience as well You you interview each other. It's it's like it's not like you're not pitching. You're not desperate for the work you know even if you even if you were in a uh, slow patch you know, you would regret taking on someone who is not the right fit. And you really try and talk them out of working with you. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're looking for a fit. It's not selling. I mean, it is selling. That is selling. It's like the right way to do sales. If you ask me, it's like, it's still sales. Like you still need to close a deal, but it's more like, I mean, because of course I adhere to this approach as well. And it's not uncommon for someone to like be asking to like it's it would be a favor to them if I would take their money
1: yes that's what happens when they're Mm pre-qualified and you're the thing that you just don't ever want to do and we've talked about this a lot is you don't want to pitch I had I've had people come to me and say okay I need to get this client what do I say (laughs) no no you're there to figure out if you can help that client and if they're gonna fit what you what you do at your best and Mm -hmm. if they don't fit the best thing you can do is to say no and you can build karma for the future as well i mean sometimes you're in a room full a literal room full of people and in that meeting you realize that you're not the right fit you can close that out in a way that you've created uh, opportunities, a bridge even, for the next time, whether it's the next project with those people, whether it's a project with one guy in the room who left and went to another firm. You never lose when you stay true to your core principles of the business, and you're not trying to sell somebody that is not going to benefit from what you have to offer.
0: Yeah, that that's it. Builds a lot of trust with someone when you're like you raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm not the best fit for this. I'm gonna, you know, it's the opposite of what they're gonna get from 90 percent of the other people that they interview. If, you know, assuming that they've got um, other options and they're interviewing different people, most people are gonna pitch. Most people are gonna try and sell. You know, the, I have a hammer. That's what you need, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And and walking away from a deal is a is just. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you wouldn't do that unless you were an incredibly trustworthy person. Like, you're obviously demonstrating by leaving potential, you know, dollars on the table, like thousands probably of dollars on the table. You're walking away from it. And what does that tell the other person? The other person's like, geez, this person is like a lot of integrity, very trustworthy, Mm -hmm. walks the walk.
1: In demand.
0: In demand, right. They don't, yeah, yeah, not desperate. There's
1: a scarcity Piece that comes mm-hmm. through with that, and everybody wants something that's scarce,
0: mm-hmm. right? So that so if you're playing a longer term game and you're not jumping from thing to thing and pivoting constantly, then that person's going to remember you. And when there is a good fit, they're they're going to think of you. If they go to another company that needs what it is that you actually do, they're going to remember you. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, thinking more long term. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Is like it's like you're not really you might be throwing away this deal or walking away from this deal, but it might just be part of a longer sales process into mm-hmm. you know a future deal. Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, and I can almost hear somebody in the audience going, well, yeah, that's fine for you guys. You know, you've been doing this a long time. You have your audience, you've done all that. But let's say that you're a freelancer today. You're selling your services. You can start the process right now mm-hmm. of working to that end. And that process starts with getting really hyper clear on your positioning, choosing a niche, understanding what it is that you want to do with whom, who are your people. Mm -hmm. And then you can start publishing. This doesn't have to be, oh, I have to publish 10 books before I can talk about this and do this. (laughs) It starts really, really small. And if all you do is allocate a small portion of your time away from pure freelancing to doing this, i.e. building your business, working on your business, right? Mm -hmm. If, If that's all you do is take a slice of your time, maybe it's 10%. Maybe you can afford twenty percent. That'd be awesome. You'll get there faster. But mm-hmm. that's you. You literally have to make the decision. It's sort of like quitting smoking. You have to make the decision that you're going to do this, and then you start. And you just every day you make a new decision. I'm not going to smoke today. I'm going to work on this today.
0: Yep. Yeah. You. I'm a non-smoker now, and every day your actions vote, like place another vote for I'm a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. So at the risk of like having a three hour long episode, you mentioned positioning, monetizing and publishing as the three components that go into this kind of like no sales sales. Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to talk about maybe positioning and how that intersects with like white space? Is there an overlap there?
1: Yeah, well, I remember when you first read the book, you were intrigued by this idea of white space. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that with regards to positioning. So positioning is really, it's a few things. It's, it's what's your vision for the business, that, that your vision, not your clients, but your vision on what you want to achieve um, with your business. Right. And and then there's something that, that I started calling your revolution. What's the revolution you want to lead? And I can already hear people saying, Well, I don't want to lead a revolution, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to do this. But what what thinking about it in t- as a revolution does for you is it allows you to think bigger than you would otherwise Mm. bigger as in who am I to think this big that's what you want to do you can always pull it back if you need to but you want to start with this what would I like to have happen Um, and let me I'll come back to that in, in a moment and so and then it's who are your people right? Who do you care most about? Who do you want to help? Who do you love working with so much you might even do it for free if money wasn't, you know, the issue? Mm-hmm. And then your niche, Right? So what's the niche that you're going to, whether it's horizontal or vertical, how are you going to specialize and offer those services to your ideal clients? And in the, in the book, I've included telling your origin story as part of positioning, but really it's these four things first that get you. And it, it get you to a place, ideally, that is white space. And by white space, designers know this term. So when, when you, they're creating, they always want to make sure there's enough white space so that you can appreciate the design, right? It can't be all design all the time. There has to be a place for your eyes to rest. It's open. It's empty. And so that's the idea when you're positioning is you want to find a space that is open and empty, but... Right. The way I like to think about it is it has to be big enough so that you can achieve whatever business goals you have for yourself, but small enough so you can own it. And Jonathan, I just love to use you as an example here because um, we could call you a pricing consultant. Right. Well, guess what? There are pricing consultants. There are yes. all kinds of people Tons. who specialize in pricing. Yeah, I talked to one guy who does airline pricing, which is very specialized. Right. Um, hospitality pricing, very specialized. There's a million kinds of pricing. So the advantage you have in focusing on pricing is that you know there's a market for that, right? Oh, yeah. And- but as you go through it, you came out with, so, so you came out with what I would call your revolution, which is hourly billing is nuts, or you want to rid the world of hourly billing. You know, yeah. said either way, that's really powerful. And that was, I believe it still is, white space. Nobody else is saying that. And nobody can now because they're going to look like a cheap imitation. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Yeah. Like if you Google the ditching hourly guy, I'm like 10 pages of results
1: hmm. Yep.
0: Like Ron Baker and Ed Kless, they, they talk about killing the timesheet, uh, but they're they're very focused on like CPAs and lawyers and they have a different approach to it. Uh, but, you know, I, whatever. I mean, I just see it as we're like fellow travelers. We're on the same mission. We're in the right. same revolution, you know, and yep. I don't care who leads it um, as long as someone's leading it. If I'm happy to do it whatever Um, but you're right there's if you google for like pricing consultant i'm sure i'm not in the first 10 pages
1: but the the examples you use though those are all people that are in what you might call adjacent spaces Mm -hmm. but they're focusing on different things you still have the same goal Maybe said different ways, but the timesheet is important when you have an agency or you have creatives and you have multiple people. It's not as it's not the same exercise as when you have one person running their business. So you're speaking to a different audience.
0: Oh, 100%. And, yeah, yeah, and there's
1: crossover, but it's white space. And yep. I wanted to use your example so people could see a live, <laughs> breathing <laughs> example of, of how this works. And usually, it doesn't all happen in one fell swoop. Sometimes it does. Um, but when you're doing it you know, by yourself, for yourself, there's usually an iterative process where you go, oh... And there's this interesting problem. And maybe you want to go all in on the problem, but then you start to do research and you see who else is in these other spaces. I mean... Perhaps you could have said, oh, gee, you know, I really want to look at some of these software agencies or, you know, software development agencies. And I really want to focus on those. Yep. But no, you went for the the independence because yeah. there's something about that that appeals to you and you you love them. Right. I mean, you you can. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <I'm, laughs> I like to use words like love for that. But it's, <laughs> it's the it's the audience that really appeals to you, that you're excited to to help and to get to this new stage that you envision for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's easier for me because that's what I was, that's how I did it. So it's, yeah. yeah. So it's easier for me to be empathetic to their situation. Mm-hmm. If somebody's got 200 employees and like a, a COO and I'm like, yeah, now there's like politics involved. And it's like, like the, mm-hmm. the principles all, all are still true, but executing them is much more tedious they have to like convince other people who are skeptical and it's just like it's just I haven't got the patience for it so um yeah so 100% like it's it's the intersection of all this stuff I prefer to do anyway so it's kind of like
1: genius zone
0: yeah right Right? That's
1: really what we're talking about. Yeah, it's your genius zone. Because somebody else listening to this who had all of your skill sets and sensibilities except that might say, you know, I really like working with multiple people where there's really complex problems that are not just about pricing, but are about interpersonal relationships and politics. I mean, there are people yeah. who love working on that. Yeah, so that's like organizational the other organizational
0: consulting or something. It's just yeah. like... Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why it's so important. And, and I go through this process in the book and there's some exercises you can use to find this out for yourself. But that's why I think it's so important that you discover your genius zone that we all do because we, we started our own businesses. We took a mm-hmm. lot of risk, right? Yeah. Why shouldn't we be doing what we really love to do when we're firing on all cylinders? And yeah. that's what, that's what you did here. Somebody else. Whoops. Yeah sorry hit the mic somebody else (laughs) i get so excited my hands are waving around (laughs) somebody else might not see it that way and that's the point there is no one way to do this that's the beauty of it there is white space for each of us we just have to find it
0: Mm, exactly cool okay so then so so that was uh, a little riff on the positioning piece what about monetizing your expertise i feel like this is something we talk about with some regularity Uh, packaging up your expertise in ways Mm -hmm. that, yeah. So what what are some of the things from the book that are specific to monetizing your expertise?
1: Yeah, well, it's really all about your business and revenue model. It's how are you going to package your services so that you make money? And the challenge in a weird way is that there are no limits. I mean, you could do whatever you wanted. You could write a thousand dollar book. You could do seminars for $20. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can mix and match. And so the way that I approached it in the book was I used a, a real live example that's been disguised um, of someone so we could look at all, and not even all, but a healthy dose of the ways that you can monetize your expertise. So that looks like, are you going to do fee for service? Are you going to offer products? Are you going to offer books, memberships? Um workshops, how are you going to monetize this positioning of yours? And it's so dependent on positioning. And what happens a lot of times, is, is especially when people first hang out their shingle, is they monetize first. There is no positioning. There's like, okay, yeah. uh, here's my hourly rate. i uh, will do pricing pretty... consultant. Do you need yeah. pricing consulting? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'll do pretty much anything for that if you pay my hourly rate of X. Mm-hmm. Um, this is different. This says, okay, maybe... When you define the people that you most want to serve, maybe they're people without deep pockets and you're thinking, how am I going to make a business out of this? Well, when you get to the monetizing, what that tells you is you need to to create ways to do this that are affordable to your ideal audience. They could be, you know, uh, maybe I'll say attainable, right? And it so they might have to stretch a little bit to get it, but the results are worth it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a, a small pocketed audience, then your your the options you present will be different, but you have to sell more of them. Right. To make money. And that's that'll happen, you know, later when we talk about the um, the selling piece of, of the book. But you need to know all this when you start to look at at monetizing. And mm-hmm. in the example I used, which was an existing revenue model, what I tried to show was how, if you change one thing, everything else can change too. So if you're if you're earning book revenue, and in our example, the his name was Atticus. Um, in Atticus's example, he was making some book revenue. It wasn't very much compared to his overall revenue, but it drove. A lot of his revenue and it was a very non leveraged model so that was the other thing is we said well what would happen if Atticus didn't want to work this way he was making plenty of money but what if he mm. didn't want to work that way what if he wanted to leverage himself what could he do and that's really the work of of that whole uh, chapter and section of the book is figuring out all the different ways you might monetize and and looking at everything that might make sense
0: yep yeah, there's so many more ways than once. Once you flip your mindset from um, I do Rails or I do you know price consulting to I know how to mm-hmm. build Rails apps or something like that, then mm-hmm. you can start and you disconnect your labor from your brains, your hands from your brains, or your your expertise from your labor. Then you can get a lot more creative. It's like the sky's the limit in terms of how you could package that up at different. Uh, prices that would be profitable for you and for the buyer Mm -hmm. so you know um, if you like you said if you have small pocketed i almost said guests for some reason if you (laughs) if you had small (laughs) small pockets on your target audience that's fine you know you just sell something that is affordable to them even if it's just a stretch and is profitable to you because you have to have profits or you're Mm going to go out of business and you can't right you know you gotta have profit and that's then then you've got a and your problem to solve is you know how do i reach enough people right so it's like an awareness Mm -hmm. thing but it's totally when you do flip from i sell my hands by the hour or even whatever like however you decide to sell it whether it's by the hour or not if it's you showing up and you know getting under the hood with a wrench that doesn't scale that great you know yeah so it can with value pricing but it's not it's but if you have but it needs to be a small number of very well healed clients if you if that's just not the people you want to work with then you know you're gonna have to be creative and come up with a different approach but it's it's fun you like you can think of all these fun different ways Mm -hmm. to package your expertise which is that just triggered a thought for me a lot of people when they think about positioning they feel like oh it's going to be so narrow i'm going to be bored it just be mm-hmm. the same thing all the time and it's like no because you, you get to play with your business all the time now
1: exactly instead
0: of all these other people's businesses you like get this sugar high like oh now i get to experiment with the cruise industry or now i get to experiment with like small plastics manufacturers or or, or creative firm you know and like that's that's that can be attractive to some people but you know it's equally if not more fun and a lot more rewarding to play around with experiments in your own business and say, oh, I'm gonna put out a $29 ebook.
1: Well, and it's easier once you've identified your genius zone because that's gonna carry over into how you monetize. So if you're the kind of person that's like, you know, I don't wanna be around people too much, you know, I just rather like design these products and sell them with minimal intervention. Fine. But you need to know that in order to then monetize what you're doing to have that outcome. But when you're specialized, when you're niched, and it's in your genius zone, it is so freaking exciting. Super fun. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, guess what I'm going to work on today? And in fact, when I was writing this book and, you know, I've talked about this, I was really intimidated about writing this book, but I never lost that sense of fun with doing it because I knew who it was for and it was for my people. Mm -hmm. and it was using something that that i'm really good at that i enjoy doing and it was like the outcome's going to be terrific whatever it is even if it sucks the outcome (laughs) is going to be terrific and it doesn't (laughs) suck it doesn't suck
0: no absolutely not okay well speaking of book let's get to the third component of this sort of soft sell or non-sell whatever you want to call it uh, which is publishing so what does that mean
1: Well, publishing is basically anytime you hit the send button, it doesn't have to be, you know, a book, a movie, you know, a big thing. It's getting your point of view out to your ideal people, your ideal audience, clients and and buyers. And so that could be if you're just starting, I believe you have an email list. We've talked about this a million times. You have an email list no matter what. You're going to get an email list. I don't care if there's only three people on it and one of them is your mother you're going to start with an email list Mm -hmm. but then the question becomes what should you do first in terms of publishing and i think it partially depends on your genius zone so for me i started with writing and i was intimidated by a podcast until i got a podcast partner but jonathan Uh i mean i don't know if you started podcasting before you started writing but you could have Right, mm-hmm. it, it was your thing. So you could start with podcasts or even video. Although I generally I like writing and podcasting because they feed each other. They've got long tails, um, and so you you know you start there. But then as you develop your audience and you've practiced your point of view, like you've worked on it with people, so you've discovered things that confuse them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or that they don't understand, or they don't agree with, maybe. And it, not that you're going to change it if some people don't agree with it, but I think if there's a stumbling block, you want to know about that. It really, it's it's critical here to be able to test your point of view. And there's some exercises in the book on how to figure out your point of view. And then you, you just start testing. And some people they just get it really fast. Their list starts growing. They've hit a nerve and you know they're off to the races. For others, it's a little bit slower. But you get to that point where you know you've got the core down, right? right. You could write about the stuff for another 10 years, but you know you have the core. That's when, I argue, that's when you start to look to other people's platforms. Yep. And that's how you're going to extend Your message. And you just, I'll use this book as an example. So I've been connecting with leaders of multiple different uh, tribes, in quotes, um, people that are doing PR or marketing or um, independent consulting. They're all different tribes, and they have someone who has kind of the keys to the kingdom. And so it, once your material has been developed and you know that it's it's latching on, that's when you reach out to some of these other people and see how can you help them help their audience. Yep. And if you put on a different set of glasses and look at them as though you were that that leader, what would you do for them? What would they based on your bag of tricks, what would be most helpful to them? So you might suggest, oh, maybe I should come on your podcast and we should talk about this. Maybe I should write a guest article for you after making sure they accept guest articles Mm -hmm. on this. Maybe you should come to my audience and talk to, uh, be on my podcast so we can talk about this idea and then maybe we, we should present it to yours. So you start to look at these other people who are, controlling other communities where your material could really make sense. Mm. And you're always doing this in a very open way. I think of it as the, the authority mindset. It's with this generosity of spirit that you're really, what you're trying to do is what's best for their audience. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier in a sales meeting, where when you feel someone is looking out for your best interests, it's a lot easier to say yes and to bond with them.
0: Boom! Mic drop right there. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. So, so positioning, monetizing, publishing, it all comes back to that. I mean, do do you want to go into more detail about what that looks like in the sales process, or how that works, or do things just sell themselves, like fly off the shelves, or do do you still have to continue to have meetings with people? Like, what's the range of possibilities?
1: Well, first of all, the way that I I designed the book is there's positioning, monetizing, and selling. And I put publishing in the selling column. Mm-hmm. So selling is three things. It's publishing, which we've talked about. It is developing your authority circle, which we talked about in another episode. And it's having sales conversations. It's selling without selling. But yes, I do believe if as long as you continue to provide services of some sort, uh, there will be sales conversations that, that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Unless you're selling all products and then you know you're selling in a different way. But it's selling... It's selling the way I like to do it. And I stumbled on this um, when I first started selling inside a big consulting firm because everybody hated it, the actuaries. It was like selling was a dirty word. They'd turn up their nose. It's like, oh, well, you're not smart enough to be an actuary, so I guess you have to sell. And um, and so, but what was interesting is selling was so easy. I mean, I wasn't doing cold calling or things like that, but it was so easy if all I did was think about the person – And their challenge and try to figure out how would i solve it if i were them Mm -hmm. and when you do that and then you go back to your team and figure that out or if your team is just you you figure that out it totally changes the relationship you're not selling anymore it's almost i don't want to say you're a friend exactly but you're looking out for them the way a good friend would
0: yeah you're right you're not friends you just met but if you treat them the way you would treat a friend or a family member,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're not, you're not there to take their money. You're not there to, you know, I, I got an email from, from someone in, in reply to my, um, every time someone joins my list, they get, you know, please reply with your biggest business challenge. And, and like business challenge was something like, um, trying to convince government agencies that they need to insert services I sell here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's the, that's, the that's shit. the kind of selling that makes people feel gross. It's the kind of selling that doesn't really work that well. You know, it's the kind of selling that when it does work, you get the wrong kind of clients, and you start off on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is the whole power frame is messed up.
1: It's like knocking your head against the wall. This yeah. the whole premise here is that you're serving a need that exists, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we can talk about needs and wants all day, but yeah, yeah. For, these,
0: for this purpose, it's, it's the same. So it's like, what do they? What, what what do they think they want? Like, what do they want? They obviously think if they're having a conversation with you if they're spending time talking to you they they obviously think that you have something they want they might mm-hmm. be wrong but they think that they think that you can contribute something to their business that is going to get them to a transform help get them to a transformation that they want so for me, a sales conversation is always fun because I'm like, it's it's very consultative. I'm like getting to know them. I'm like, you know, wh- what's your current situation? Like, where do you want to be in the future? And What do mm-hmm. you think I have to do with that? Like, why would you call somebody like me to help with that, that transformation and uncover what they think? my contribution might be and and again they could be wrong like they might be mm-hmm. like oh because we yeah. think you know you are uh an expert in mobile web design and therefore and i'd be like oh, this is not gonna work you know like <laughs> I, i'm not the right fit for this what you need is yeah. pr you know or you need your right. your product's actually great it's already mobile friendly maybe you need a native app now so it could which i don't do so yeah it's super fun like if you're i, I, I one time wrote if you're getting butterflies before a sales interview, you're doing it wrong. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, sh- you should you be like get that...
0: stoked, relaxed.
1: Yeah, yeah you want to yeah. get, or a little a little excited. Not quite like before a speech, but a little bit of that where you've done your homework, you're ready for the conversation, and you're you're excited for it to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I know you talk about the why conversation. The way I approach um, the sales conversation is three things and they're all they all start with why right Mm -hmm. which is why this why now and why me yes and yeah it's the same idea but it's what i found really interesting is sometimes they kind of look at you with at least in some of the work i've done years ago with the why this they look at you and go well you know because it's tuesday you know, this we're gonna we do want. this now. <laughs> we have the budget for it. And you're like, oh great, that's exciting. Um and then the why now can be really interesting because you can find out that there is something behind the scenes, especially in a publicly held company that nobody knows yet. Yeah. That's really critical to this and it helps you understand and help them figure out how to get what they want. And of course, you know, the why me, we've talked about plenty of times, but it's Mm -hmm. when you get all those other things, uh, the why me question becomes really simple and they'll often sell you on you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sell themselves on you, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that one, yeah. I mean, obviously we've done entire shows on this, but yeah, that's the same exact approach I use. You know, I've heard it from other people before too. I don't think either one of us invented it. Um, but it's it's great. It's I, And I know from talking to hundreds of people who have tried it that two two things are true or at least extremely common. One is that it feels really awkward. It's not the way people are used to doing it. So like the, the seller mm-hmm. is not used to doing this. The seller, at least in my space, is used to trying to collect all the scope that they can find. Yes. So they can do an estimate. Yeah. They are not used to saying like, well, you know, like just boom, right out of the gate. Like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? Like, I see that you have this list of features that you want me to build, but how do you know those are the right things? You're obviously bringing in experts, at least one, me, to talk about it. So you must know you don't know something. So how do you even know that this is the right medicine for your malady?
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and and good clients will be like, Yes. This is the person we want to talk to and they'll get all excited about this conversation bad clients will be like You know bad fit clients will be like why do you need to know that? You know, so it's like right away. I'm like, okay but so the one one thing that's very true is that it's uh, In my experience most people feel very awkward doing this the first time And the second thing that I found is that if they can make themselves do it They're like, oh my god. That was the (laughs) best sales conversation i've ever had
1: yeah. Because it feels so powerful. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the word you used reminded me, we used to call this in the big firm, we, we'd call it a scope meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, who calls? I mean, I didn't. I Back then I would call them new business meetings. But when you go in with this mindset that it's all about the scope, you don't allow yourself to really listen to what else is going on. You don't ask Mm -hmm. those other questions. The second you don't think about it as scope anymore, because the truth is, if you do all these things right and you miss something that you need to know about the scope, send them an email afterwards. You know, it's (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. The most important thing are are these big questions and everything else, if you miss one or two, it's fine. You can still get it later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about... The other reason for me of not thinking of it and doing everything I can to not talk about scope, it's always going to come up because the client wants to bring it up. Mm-hmm. But really trying to get away from that into the, the why questions is because it's, in many cases, if you're attracting good clients, the kind of clients you want, it's someone coming to you who has convinced themselves they need a triple bypass. But when you talk to them, you're like, you just need an acid. You don't have heart trouble. <laughs> yeah you know so <laughs> my goal would be to look for the easiest possible way to judo the situation so the scope is minimal so i'm not going to take their i'm not going to take scope from them mm-hmm. i'm not taking scope from the the non-expert first i want to understand the business problem what's the business case and then i'll come up with three different scopes three different scope like completely different scopes each price will be a different scope and it's like oh that's interesting it that wasn't what we expected but mm-hmm. we like it you know so so I I am just piling on this point because so many software developers like me back then, that's the only thing they understand. Like they go in and they just ask questions, like, "Well, could an invoice item ever be on two different invoices?" Or like, "Could two different owners ever have the same property?" Is is authorship <laughs> ever shared, or is it always just one author? And they're trying to model the whole database solution in their head. Yeah. Um. And and it's like you're missing the point. They might just need to. I don't know, buy Basecamp or sign up for Notion or something. They might not even need this. Like the thing they're describing to you might be zappier. Like just tell mm-hmm. them about that. So yeah, so that's very counterintuitive to to walk into that meeting and look for ways to make the project smaller. You know, yeah.
1: So. Well, and I think the other thing is, it's not just software developers that do that. All kinds of consultants are guilty of that. It, because you go into these meetings, and you, you're so hyper focused. I'm solving the problem. I, I mean, I think that you do want to solve the problem, but you're focused on your part of it. And, you know, our part of it is never the whole Piece. It's just one piece. Mm-hmm. So what's really powerful, and I know it's really scary the first time is I love the idea of coming back to them with these three different scopes that you haven't discussed in the meeting. Yes. Right? It's the first time the client has seen those. And and so the danger is that somehow you've you've scoped it wrong, right? You've missed something. Or maybe you think that there should be a bunch of interviews of key players and I don't know, maybe that's your middle option or -hmm. it's your most expensive option. And you didn't talk about that. So you you run, you run those risks in quotes, but what really happens is they've already bought you when you left the room the -hmm. first time. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes a question of one, two or three, which ones it's going to be. And if, if they don't like something in one of those, they're going to talk to you about it and you're going to change it. Right. It's powerful.
0: Yeah. It's a complete, like I I hear it all the time. People finally take the plunge. You know, I've got, I'm running a TPS right now, a pricing seminar right now. And a couple of people, the first week, which was six or seven weeks ago, we do all of this. We do all proposals, the buy conversation, sales interviews, all that stuff. And now a couple of them have actually had clients come to them in the, in the intervening weeks and they've are you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try it. And across the board it's like Mm. i just closed the two biggest deals of my life um it's like the the just the feeling but the big thing is the feeling after the meeting they're like that is how it should be (laughs) that's how it should be
1: your partners in solving a problem you're not you know it's like status roles right you're not one Mm -hmm. status down because you're you know, this lowly person doing the execution, you are partners in getting this done. You're equals. So you have different areas of responsibility, but you both have a responsibility to the project, to the process, to the outcomes. It just, yeah, exactly. it changes everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I start every time I do, like, it's pretty common for me when I'm right at working on a big project or, you know, like a, a talk you know, an hour-long talk or something like that. Positioning is the thing that uh, is difficult to leave out because I think it's like, (laughs) you you know what I mean? Like, if you just monetize, if you just sell, it's you're still, without the positioning, without finding white space, without picking your strategy because positioning is really marketing strategy strategy yeah yeah. without picking a strategy this other stuff is mostly just tactics and i can teach tactics all day long i'm happy to but they won't work in absence of a strategy because you just you don't know which ones are the right ones and which ones are a distraction so you know pulling you in opposite directions or you know just not creating forward momentum
1: yeah, and one of the one of the frustrations that I've seen, which is again another reason for the book, is people have been doing this for a long time and they were successful in spite of not positioning because they knew enough people, they had enough acceleration or momentum already and then something would change like the the pandemic was a great example of that. All of a sudden breaks went on all over the world and And that made some people stop really hard and not be able to start up again. So it's not just people who are new to this. Sometimes it's people who've been doing this a long time with their existing relationships. And they're kind of like, I don't think I need to do this. But then something changes, whether it's an outside event like the pandemic, or it's something that you want to do differently, where you say, you know what? I'm tired of being on an airplane all the time. I'd like to do this (laughs) differently, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I feel seen. (laughs) yeah 100 percent. i mean when you when you have a network of people that are referring you you are positioned in their mind they're Mm -hmm. introducing you to their friends in some way that would probably make a great positioning statement for you Mm -hmm. but you don't know what it is yeah (laughs) unless you ask them yeah so and, and different people you might be you probably are positioned in different ways in different people's minds and yes you know so it's like oh man if you could harness that power pick the best one and amplify that one when i say best the one that yes. you like the most yeah. the one that's the most effective and amplify that it just makes all this other stuff so much easier so like if you've tried you know s- s- selling the way we're talking about or publishing or you know you've created a, a product and service ladder and nothing nothing seems to work it's like mm, first thing i check is the positioning mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to tell you the story about the book and the blurbs because books, you're, you're positioning books as well, right? Every product, mm-hmm. every service, there's positioning around that. And so um, I had this idea before I wrote the book on what I wanted it to do. And basically, I said that I wanted to give independent consultants and freelancers the tools and the confidence to build this happy, and happy was important to me, profitable six plus figure authority business faster than they would alone. So this mm-hmm. was the idea I had. I didn't say this to anybody. That was the idea. I got my first blurb back uh, from Charlie Green and then a second one from Joe Pine that said almost exactly the same thing. Basically, if I'd had this book you know, way back when, when I first started, it would have saved me more than a decade of my <laughs> on my own journey. And I didn't tell them what to say. I mean, they both asked yeah. me if I wanted something. I said, no, I just want your reaction. Yeah. so it's it's powerful when you have a positioning and then you manage to that positioning, right? If you mm-hmm. know that you're going to focus on the X,Y,Z audience, you're not going to write about something that's not of interest to them. If you know that these are the, the lanes of content that you want to hit to be able to make this revolution you're envisioning happen, you're mm-hmm. going to write on those things. It, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah. so if you don't get that clarity, you can't get the great leverage out the back end.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what to leave out and you know what to put in. Yeah. Because you've got a there's a point. <laughs> so who, yeah. who is it for? What's it supposed to do? What's the promise?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And exactly. then so so then if you keep that in mind the whole time and then look, people read it and it comes through. It shines through even though it's not explicitly articulated like on the cover or something.
1: Right. But I kept looking, and this is, yeah, this is me, we know I'm, <laughs> I'm anal about these things, but I kept looking at that. It was part of what motivated me to finish the book. Hmm. And I had it on a, a literal sheet of paper in colorful ink where I could see it every single day. And so I know that that helped me to do this. And so if you're just positioning your business and your, your brand for the first time, you write it down look at it over and over and over again especially when you're creating any form of content that you're publishing
0: yeah north star compass whatever you want to call it you know it's keeps you on track
1: yeah absolutely
0: fabulous well i'm just gonna put one more plug in the (laughs) you know i've heard mm, every single episode of the business of authority right (laughs) and i still learn stuff from this book. So it, I learned stuff about you personally, Rochelle, that was fascinating that I didn't know. It was like, well, I was like, oh, wow. But also <laughs> about implementing this stuff because we talk about it and, and it's one thing to sort of like, yeah, I hear it and it makes sense. But I don't think we've mentioned this. There are like exercises in the book. So like, it'll be yeah. very inspirational and big picture and um, just like get you excited and aspirational about doing some of this stuff. And then you bring it right down to practical action Actions like here are the steps you can download the workbook that goes along with this and just do it Do the steps and then throughout the book you're like refer back to you know exercise two or whatever Yeah, it's 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 I mean, this is what I wrote about it It's I can't think of a business book that's as inspirational and practical that i've ever read I mean, it's like super practical, but also you're like, yes, I can do this The confidence thing totally shines through it brings the confidence to you It's great.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. I love that. I'm gonna gonna play that up over again. (laughs) Put that on a loop.
0: Cool. All right, folks. Well, thanks very much for joining us again on the business of authority. I'm like all tingly. I'm all excited. I wish wish we could. I wish we somehow could pop champagne or something. Like being on opposite sides of the country, though.
1: It's it's very very exciting. Oh, that was good. (laughs) Oh oh man. Yeah. You're in charge of sound effects from and now forward.
0: There we go. I'm like Fred from Stern. <laughs> <laughs> Insider <laughs> reference. So, anyhow, all right folks, well we should wrap up cuz otherwise we'll just gush or I will anyway.
1: And I'll just otherwise I'll just keep turning red, so <laughs> I should stop.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, well that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark
1: and I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.